0: How to Worship the King. How can we not expect these kind of moves of God? How can we not expect our people to see the heavens open? And hear the angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at a series called How to Worship a King. And we've, we've looked at the story of, we call them, you've heard them called magi, you've heard them called wise men, we've heard them, we know that they were kings. And we've been looking at, you know, the different words that are used in what they said in Matthew 2.2. 2. When they look, so we've seen that how to worship a king, sometimes it's by raising our hands. Last week we talked about uh Exceedingly great joy in what those words mean. It means that they got really loud and beside themselves. (laughs) They uh, acted a little bit out of sorts, Kevin. (laughs) And then what happened was that praise caused them to open up and give of their best. But we're going to get into some of that a little bit here in a minute. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 2. Mm. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. And I know during this time of year, you're expecting us to come in here and do Christmas carols and all this stuff. Man, he, Emily, he is so far beyond, beyond that. He's so far, so much bigger than that. We're talking about a king, Brenda. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about, we've come into the place that the wise men, if you don't know the story, the wise men traveled over, a little over 900 miles. They, they went back and they found out where they were from. They were from the Iran area. It would be like you and I walking or riding a camel from here to Orlando, Florida to spend one night in worship and then turn around and walking back. And we come in church and have the audacity to say, well, you know, if they don't play my favorite song, I'm just going to sit here. Or pastor's going to have Greg repeat the same words over and over and over and over. We're afraid to even get out of our little comfort zone to praise Him. And these guys traveled for two years. It took them two years to get to where He was. He wasn't a baby in the manger anymore. This is why Herod said, who are you here to see? And they said, we're here to see the king. We've come to worship the king. He got afraid for his throne. That's why during the time of, uh, of Jesus' birth, we read the story that he was trying to kill all the babies two years and under. Why? The wise men had told him how long they'd been looking for him. But he said, well, if I kill every kid two years and under, I've got it all covered. And so, uh, uh, go to verse 9. Same chapter. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose before them. And it came to rest over the place where the child was. And this is what we looked at last week. And they saw the star and rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, in case you've forgotten, what that means is they were yelling, they were screaming, they were dancing. It was a loud, exuberant worship. It cracks me up how many times that people come into certain churches and they're a little loud, like Stanley. And they're like, well, you know, that's just not, I don't know if that's even proper, Ann. Ann, I don't even know if that's proper. But yet, when we read it and we go back to the original language and we hear the way the wise men responded and what those words actually meant, that they worshipped loudly. It's all right to shout in church. It's all right to get loud. It's all right John, to get a little bit aside ourselves, but you know that's not what everybody does. Well, maybe we should Zach, maybe we need to get outside of our comfort zone every now and then, because if you had a problem with raising your hands the first week, last week was real hard on you when he told he started telling us to shout and make a joyful. Thank you. You're going to have a real hard time this week. It gets worse. He said, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. let, Let me read that to you out of the Passion Translation. It says, when they saw the star, they were so ecstatic, ecstasy, that they shouted and celebrated with unrestrained joy. That's what those words exceeding great... They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's basically what those words actually meant. They shouted and celebrated with unrest... They did not try to restrain themselves. Imagine what will happen in Harvest Christian Fellowship when its people actually realize how free they are. wonder what will happen when we understand... Pinocchio just went through my head. <laughs> Remember when he realized he didn't have strings on him? He started singing. He started, I got no strings to hold me down. What's going to happen when a church actually realizes how free the su- who the sun sets free is free indeed. When they realize just how free they are, would we dare come and stand and say, okay, move me if you can. You should have a hard time controlling me. My praise should make you a little uncomfortable. Well, I don't want people looking at me. Well, if everybody acted the same way, nobody would look at you, would they? Moving on. (laughs) Their worship was ecstatic. Read verse 10 again. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And going into the house... See, he wasn't a baby in a manger anymore, Stanley. By this time, they had already moved into a house. Isn't it funny how we miss these things? Because we have these great nativity scenes. And to fill up the space, we put the three wise men and one little camel. That's what we got out there on the information booth. They weren't even in the, he wasn't even in the manger still. They had already grown up to the fact, and they were in a house by this time. Now remember, these were kings. Have you ever seen a king travel by himself? Nope. What, what usually comes along with the king, John? His entourage. A caravan. That's what rolled up to Mary and Joseph's house. A caravan. See, we got this idea that they brought this little box of gold and this little box of frankincense and this little box of myrrh. No, they rolled in there with a caravan of gold. With a caravan. Of, why? Because frankincense and myrrh were expensive. Could easily be traded. Do you, do you know why they rolled up with this much? Let's see how well you know the Christmas story. When Mary and Joseph are finding out that now Herod is trying to kill all the babies, where do they go? They leave Egypt. You ever wonder how they had the money to make that trip? How they had the money to stay there until they heard Herod had died? They had to stay in Egypt until they heard Herod died. You didn't know Jesus wasn't poor. We, we, we mis, misinterpret a scripture where he says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and we all of a sudden think Jesus is homeless. But if you read it in Capernaum, he had a own house. Matter of fact, they believe, and we can look at scripture later, it's not the point of today's message, that when the young men, remember when they ripped open the roof and dropped him the, their friend down there? That was his house. They they ripped the roof off of Jesus' house. The miracle worker. But back to these guys. It says they went into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now let's stop right there because here's where it's getting ready to get difficult. If you had trouble raising your hands and clapping, if you had trouble shouting. Because, Phyllis, what happens is people look at us and they think we're a little weird. Uh, We might be, I don't know. Ernie said he is. I looked over today and I saw, I think it was Monica. And she was just down on her knees worshiping. And we think, you ever seen somebody get down? Now, in this church you might see somebody laying flat on their face and you think, no, that's just a little much. Jerry, that's just a little much. (laughs) But here's the thing. Everything we've looked at over these past two weeks, we've looked at from the wise men, right? It says, and when they saw the child with his mother Mary, they fell down. A proper act of worship how do I worship a king? I raise my hands, I shout, and sometimes I just get down on my face. I get before him, and I begin to worship him. We don't see this because in our culture we won't. We say he ain't bound to nobody. That's ingrained in us Americans. Hey, we, our whole country started this way. We're not bound our knee to a king anymore. Isn't it funny how that carried over on into our churches too? And so, as people begin to worship, and you begin to see people laying out all over, with just on the ground, we were in worship here one night in a conference. Uh, Bill Vanderbush was here, and I just couldn't take praise and worship no more. Couldn't take it. My knees got weak, and I just I, I, I worshipped as much as I could. I didn't know this until after service. Kevin had come up and held me up for probably twenty minutes. I was only only reason I was on my feet was because Kevin was behind me, and they laid me down. And there's a picture somewhere floating around the internet. I laid right here, face down, for another two hours and did not move a muscle. Matter of fact, Bill Vanderbush was was preaching that night, and he had to walk over top of me to preach Zach. People say, well, that's just weird. And they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down. See, one of the acts of worship, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving you stuff to try. <laughs> try it home first so you don't think everybody's looking at you. <laughs> Raise your hands every now and then. Shout every now. Listen, if, if Mike. And, 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 and Rob back there are doing their jobs right, They ain't nobody going to hear you yell anyhow. Because this place ought to be cranking. All right? Ain't nobody going to hear you. I dare you to lift your voice. Now, some of you all that lift your voice all the time, let's take it a step farther. When's the last time we would just get on our face, just lay down and just worship him? When was the last time our relationship with Him elicited such a response that I can't stand no more? I realize I am in the presence of a heavenly royalty. I realize I'm in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I realize I'm in the presence of salvation Himself. I realize that I'm in the presence of the chain breaker, the bondage breaker. I realize that I'm in His presence. And you know what? Standing just won't do it anymore and they fell down and worshipped him now remember they had walked two years for this moment two years for this moment and they fell down and worshipped him then opening their treasures multiples then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, this type of worship doesn't happen very often because in our culture, we don't see this type of honor. Let's try it again over here. In our culture, we don't see this kind of honor because we don't worship a king like this, we don't have a king. What would happen if we began to honor God the way that they began to honor Jesus? And so what we do is we find... Do you realize that in multiple, multiple, multiple cultures around the world, bowing to the king is normal? Coming prostrate on our bellies, face down, is normal. Matter of fact, 131 times in the Bible, it talks about laying face down or prostrate in relation to prayer and worship and speaking to God. 131 times. Now I could see if they mentioned it once, maybe twice, and we made a regular thing out of it, we would say, okay, maybe we've taken something too far. But when it's mentioned 131 times in relation to prayer, And worship. And so often it it includes that exact word prostrate. Face down. Face down. Matter of fact, 256 times that word prostrate is used in the Bible. Now we're over 400. We're right at 400 times that he says to lay out, face down. But man, people's going to look at me weird. Listen, they looked at you weird when they saw your blinker come on and you decided to come up this hill this morning. (laughs) Like Brother Hagin used to tell us, you're already in here, they think you're one of us now anyhow, you might as well enjoy it. Almost 400 times, Pastor Ted, he says for us just to lay down. But see, here's how we know we're not used to this. Because in churches, when a silence comes, we get very uncomfortable. Because if, if, if Ernie and I are in a room and we're talking and we're talking and we're talking, and I'm telling him, man, you're doing such an awesome job. I love to see you out there shaking hands on your scheduled days. I love what you do as a deacon in our church. I love what you do and all this stuff. And, and all of a sudden, I'm giving him all this stuff, and I'm thanking him for everything he does for the church. I'm thanking him for filling up the, uh, what's that stuff called? Communion every Sunday. I'm saying, man, people wouldn't have communion if y'all didn't show up early and do it. And I'm just thanking him and I'm thanking him for everything he does. And all of a sudden there's a, this uncomfortable silence that happens. And we're looking at each other real odd. (laughs) Waiting for one of us to speak. That's what we do with God. Because if the praise team isn't keeping it pumped up, we struggle staying in a place of worship if Dee's not wearing the piano out, or Sheila's not taking that bow and just doing something beautiful, if there's not something, when will we learn to worship in a holy hush that causes us just to fall face down and say, God, I just want to be in. I realize that I am in your presence. A lot of times where you see the word bow, the way they bowed down, was actually the word prostrate, The same word as the word prostrate. Genesis chapter 17. I told you, it's, here's the thing, why don't we? Why, why is that hard for us? I'm not even looking at worshiping, worshiping him in dance. God forbid we start talking about dancing in church. Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham and he says, And Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2 of Genesis 17. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be a father of a multitude of nations. You see what happened? His entire destiny changed when he was on his face. He laid down in front of God, a 99-year-old fatherless man. 99 years old. Things don't work like these, Stuart. He laid down a fatherless man, but destiny changed while he was on his face before his God. What if the very thing you've been believing for is only found on your face before God? Something that you've waited for for 99 years. He waited 99 years and now here stands God in front of him saying, I am going to change your destiny. And he has to hear it from his face. Psalm 95. Are you with me? I told you. That's why we've been, as we've been talking and going through this worship, you do realize during worship, you don't even have to stay in your seat. You're lucky you're in a place we don't care. Come up here and join us. It's more fun up here, anyhow. <laughs> Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. There's those words again. Make a joyful noise. You cannot do this quiet, folks. Well, I'm just a quiet person. And God knows that. That's why He says, Come, let us worship the Lord. Make a joyful noise. This is an instruction, Brenda. Brenda. He said, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His for He made it and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. That's the word. Let us come and bow down. Man, I don't know if I can go to your church like that. Just because you go to a place that don't do it doesn't mean it's still not in the Word of God. Try it on this section, see if they get it. Just because you go to a church that don't do it doesn't mean it's not in the Word. And as Christians, we're supposed to be followers of the Word, right? Oh, come and let us worship with songs. Make a joyful noise. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker that word there worship is the word shakah it's a verb it means to bow down to prostrate oneself to crouch it means to fall down I don't know about all them places where people fall down come on Still in the Word. Rita, it's in the Word. He said, it means to fall down. To humbly beseech, to do reverence, to worship. So what should worship look like? It should be loud. It should be joy-filled. It should be people laid out on their bellies. You're in the seat right now. You don't have room to do that there. You only can come up here and do it. It should be full of wonder. It should be hands raised. It should be voices out loud. We cannot do this thing silently. And so we get a very poor interpretation of the word and we turn it into a song and we sing it and it means so much to us and we treat it like it's... A hint, a, 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 something straight, a scripture straight out of the Bible. Silent night, holy night. We'll get into this next week. You, why do we think that when the angels appeared to Jesus, how many of you think appeared? Guess. Then why do we only show three? Every Sunday school lesson, three angels appear over two little shepherds. The Word says, if you do, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm getting into next week. But if you do the research, the Lamb of God was born during the time when lambs were naturally born. These shepherds covered the hill. The Word says that the heavens opened. For a time those shepherds on the John those shepherds on the hill the heavens open and they saw into the glory realm of God And we have the audacity to think this was a silent night <laughs> Was John John talked about saw the heavens open was he silent about it? No, he got beside himself. Good job. That's why you were up here. Was to say, hey, look, the heavens are open. All you have to do is look, see it, tell the Lord. It says on that mountainside that the heavens were opened. All is calm. All is bright. That's the craziest mess. This wasn't a silent night. This was one of the biggest nights of rejoicing. And these three wise men traveled for two years after the party. After the party at the manger. they traveled 2 years and they and we find them falling down and worshiping him what's our excuse we should be telling people get out we we ought to come we ought this bunch ought to be coming in the back door elbowing people out of my way i'm here for a purpose i'm here to worship the king I'm here to bow before Him. I'm here to make a joyful noise. I'm here to lift my hands. I'm here to lift my voice. Get out of the way. I love you. I'll talk to you after. But there's a place I've got to be right now. Man. All this bright. <laughs> I've got a heavy metal version of that song if y'all want to hear it sometime probably puts it more in perspective. Heavy metal. Folks, I know what we say. I can't do this. Worship is an innate quality in every human being. We are wired for worship. Everyone. Webster says that worship is this. It means to honor with extravagant love. Honor with extravagant love and extreme submission as a lover. Wow! We lift our hands, we raise our voices, we bow Amen. before him, for he is the King. I don't want. I'm not going to bow. Why should I bow? I'm glad you asked that. Why bow? it's an act of devotion. When they bow before a king on on the earth, it's an act of devotion. To show them that they're devoted to them as a leader. Devotion, the definition of, of devotion is a solemn attention to the supreme being in worship. It's ardent love and affection. Attachment manifested by constant attention. In other words, devotion is me actively chasing the heart of God. And me doing whatever it takes to make sure that I give him constant devotion. Yeah, but all this bowing stuff is it really in the Word, Emily. Psalms 5 verse 7. Psalm 5 verse 7 tells us, he says, But through an abundance of... Of your steadfast love. I will enter. Oh he's talking about getting into the temple. We don't have a temple. What we have is a church. And we know we're the church. So it's always wherever wherever I'm at is a church. Wherever you're at is a church. He said I will enter your house. I will bow. Toward your holy temple. (laughs) In fear. That word fear is not afraid. It's actually a reverence. In a reverence of you. King James says, to worship in your holy temple. It's the same word we just looked at a few minutes ago of Shaka to bow down, to lay prostrate, to be on our face before God. As believers, There needs to be a time in our life where we just get down on our face and worship him. Not ask him for anything. Because that's what our prayer time is most of the time. People say, well, I'm going to go pray, Kevin. And what we do is we go ask God for stuff. When's the last time we just went to God and said, hey, I just want to worship you. That's one thing I really love about Wednesdays. When we do our corporate prayer time together, wherever we are, it's just, everybody's just, some are laying here, some are over there. Right about where Zach and, and, and Emily and Randy are right there, uh, you can find Ted face down every week right there. You kind of, I don't know, you got a habit, don't you? Just right to that same spot. There's a lot of prayer happens right there, guys. But why? When we just come before God and said, I'm not going to ask you for anything. You've already been better to me than I could ever imagine. You've given more to me than I ever thought I would ever deserve. You have blessed me beyond measure. So I just want to lay here at your feet. I just want to put my head in your lap and lay down here before you and just worship you. And we tell him to take over the throne of our life to call the shots. We remind him, we remind ourselves, I should say, you're God, I'm not. Through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down for fear of you. That word fear is the word yadra. It's a word that usually refers to the fear of God and is viewed as a positive quality. Not a... What? It's viewed as a positive? When's the last time you thought fear was something positive? He goes on to say this fear acknowledges God's good intentions. It will motivate and delight even the Messiah. This fear restrains people from sin. It gives confidence. It helps rulers It causes judges to act justly. It results in good sleep. What? That word. Fear. When I come before Him and I get down on my face before Him and I spend time acknowledging who He is, acknowledging that He's good and He wants good things for me. Remember, this is positive. It indicates the good intentions of God. Amen. You will sleep better. Amen. Part of the word itself, Idra. Well, I just can't find sleep. Maybe you need to spend some time in worship. It results in good sleep with humility. Ooh, look at this. It leads to riches, honor, And life. Worship will change everything about your life. Worship will change everything. And from this we bow down. Because we're devoted to Him. Well why else would I bow? Not only am I devoted to Him but I'm dedicated. See you can be devoted to something. But not be dedicated to it. I can be devoted to D and say you're my wife. I'm never going to cheat you know. But it's all uh, there's no dedication to her. I'll never cheat on you, but I'll go over here and flirt with so-and-so. I'll never go to that point. See, that's that's where dedication and devotion starts to. Why did that get so uncomfortable in here? <laughs> If I'm dedicated, it means I'm going to set apart and consecrate to the divine being, to a sacred purpose. Matthew 2, verse 11, halfway down it says, And they fell down and worshiped him. This kind of dedication does something. What did it do? What did this moment of dedication do to the wise men? What did it cause them? Looks, the next sentence. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. This kind of worship, this kind of dedication, all in service of a king, it will cause you to become a giver. And I'm just not talking about money in the bank, of yourself, of your time, of your heart. Yeah, bring your money. The Word says bring your money. Bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. When we worship, it's funny how when people start to worship, all of a sudden they'll they'll become givers. I've seen people get a hold of worship, and all of a sudden they become tithers. Why? Because they realize when I'm in the presence of the King and I understand I'm His child, none of this rest of this stuff, it don't matter. I don't have to hold on to it so tightly because I know He'll supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. And all of a sudden, I'm so free to let go of it. Worship will cause you to open up. Oh, great, now you're wanting my money. I don't want it. You do with it what you put it to the test. Why do you think he said in Malachi chapter 3? He said, prove me. Put me to the test and see that I won't open up. Bring your tithes and offering into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. then he says, put me to the test and see that I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you so much that you can't contain it. And all of a sudden, I do that and then I start worshiping harder. And I start worshiping harder and I find myself giving more. And all of a sudden, when I find myself giving more, then... What, what does what does this type of worship lead to? Riches and honor. So now I'm walking in more riches. I'm walking in honor, and I thank God even more. And all of a sudden, I give Him more. You see, it brought a response out of these wise men. They began to open their. See, this is where it gets quiet. People's like, "Well, now you're talking about our money." Not you all. You guys do a fantastic job. A fantastic job. Of, of taking care of God's house. That's why I, I've preached. You know how many times I've preached on money in the church? I've, I know I'm mentioning it a little bit now. I did five years in between. Messages of preaching about tithes and offerings. You know why? Because when you got people who worship, who get it. <laughs> pastors don't have to preach about it. You know why? Because it's the response that happens. Okay, moving on. Because people are okay when you talk about devotion, when you start talking about this kind of dedication, it starts getting... But see, what this does, it, it, it tells God, I'm all in. Everything. I'm all in. My money's all in. My heart's all in. My time's all in. My, my, my service is all in. Every, I'm all in. 100% God, I'm yours. Look what else... Devotion, dedication, but here's what something else we get out of worship, and we're, going to, we're close to the end, is you get direction in times of worship. That's right. You get direction. How many of you could use some direction in your life right now? You're, you're praying and saying, hey God, I need to know wh- what my next step is. I'm telling you, start worshiping. Raise your hands, lift your voice, get on your face. Why? Because direction comes. Direction is to aim you at a certain point. It's a point towards something. Go back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, And look what happened. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own way by another they departed to their own country by another way. We live in a world that is absolutely what I feel. Everybody say Brent's feelings. So now you know I'm not saying nothing scriptural. We live in a world that is absolutely directionless. They don't know if they're coming or going call evil good and good evil have no direction no understanding and I'm not blaming anybody so don't go out of here saying well he jumped out and preached politics half of you know you most of you know I ain't gonna do it but we live in a world that doesn't have direction People are wanting direction or wanting to know, what's next? Where do I go? We lack direction in our lives because we don't spend time in worship. Now, if you go to this church any length of time, you already know this. Where does God talk to me most? Somebody knows. In the shower. You know why? I have nothing else. I cannot distract myself with nothing. I can't distract myself with the Bible. What? You distract yourself with the Bible? Well, when it's everything that you do, and that's all I do, that can become a distraction. And there are times when I'd have to come in here when it's quiet. So I can get direction on where we're going next. So most of the time God talks to me, it's in the shower. Because I'm in there and I'm praying. And usually when he does it, as soon as I throw that curtain back and take my first step in, he starts talking. Before I can get anything in my head, in worship is where we find direction. These wise men fell down and worshipped the baby and then God gave them a dream. Don't go back to Herod. Go another way. If you, want change, if you want direction and you're praying about something, you say, God, I don't know my next step here, then I'm going to encourage you, get on your face before Him and just begin to worship and watch Him change your life. Lastly, worship changes everything. Luke chapter 17 there was a bunch of lepers come before Jesus. They weren't supposed to even be anywhere near Him. And so, while Jesus was coming, go to verse 12. It says, when Jesus entered their village, He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus, have mercy on us. Go show yourself to the priest like you're supposed to. And on their way, they were cleansed. And when one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, Were there not ten that was cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise except to God, except this foreigner? Now, look what he, Jesus says here. How many of these men were cleansed of leprosy? All of them. See, leprosy is a bad disease. This particular type of leprosy they dealt with over there caused your digits to fall off, it left scars. And you had to be examined by a priest and the priest had to make sure you had no open lesions that all signs of leprosy was removed from your body. All of them got it. He said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's a completely different word than being cleansed. That means, I tell you what, that word is actually the word sozo. And if you don't know what that means, it's the same word we use for salvation. What does salvation do for us? It, when God looks at us, he does not see sin at all. There's no evidence it was there. There's no scarring Things that were missing are now back in place. And he came and fell before Jesus at his feet, on his face, and worshipped. And he was not just cleansed, but even the very trace of the disease that was in his life was gone. His praise changed everything. That what would have been there, he would have always had a reminder of leprosy. And now he can look at his reflection in a shiny glass and see, I know I had it, but I don't know more. Well, what happened? When I saw I was clean, I ran back and all I did was fall down on my face and I wrapped my arms around His feet and I began to give Him praise and He looked at me and told me to stand up because my faith has made me whole. Worship changes everything. But look what drove Him to His face. Your faith, faith in whom we serve should drive us to our face and wrap our hands around his feet and watch him change our life forever. How do I worship a king? I'll lift my hands, I'll clap my hands, I'll raise my voice, but there's sometimes where I'm just going to lay down. And I'm just going to be right here. And if somebody has to walk over me for an hour and a half, they'll just have to walk over me. One of my favorite places to pray on Wednesdays, (laughs) she's pointing, is laying right there. And just lay there. And you know what, Allie? I don't always... I don't always talk. Sometimes I just lay there. Well, what if you fall asleep? Well, I think we read in in that word it says it causes sleep. This kind of worship will cause sleep. I don't feel guilty about it. They may hear me snore. That's okay. (laughs) But worship... This kind of worship will take you into a whole new relationship with God. And here you go. You ready? I dare you to try it. I dare you to lift your hands. I dare you to raise your voice. I dare you. Praise and worship time, stroll up here and join us. Not up there, it's too crowded. Come up here and join us sometime. Well, what if everybody sees me? Who cares? Teenagers, nobody cares. They really don't. Amen? Amen. We will have service next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. We are going to continue talking about how to worship a king. I will not guarantee you Christmas carols because I'm talking to a king. And he deserves everything the king deserves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. Father, as we give you praise and honor and glory for all that you do, I ask you, Lord, that today be the day That my worship changes. That I praise you differently. Let me raise my hands in comfort. Let me raise my voice in victory. Let me lay on my face before you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.